Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. At D.L. Martin Ministries, we appreciate this opportunity to bring you the freedom and healing found in God's Word. We pray that he will bless you and enrich your walk with him through this teaching. After the program, stay tuned for information about other resources from D.L. Martin Ministries. Well, tonight we're going to be talking about our enemy. Our first class, this is a, a CD in the series of Armor Up, Spiritual Warfare. Before Warfare, I guess is how you could classify it. Our first class, we did an overview of what spiritual warfare was. We talked about the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And we talked about that we are in a war. Then in our second class, class two, we talked about knowing God and how important it is to first know who you are in God and to know who this God is that we're joining up with. Tonight, in our third class, we're going to be talking about knowing your enemy. You know, our first priority is to know God, but if we're really at war with a clever, experienced enemy, one of the first laws of warfare, of any kind of warfare, is to know your enemy. Well, who is he? And tonight, just like we did with our, our class on the Lord, the enemy is noted by his names, and his names also define who he is. So we're just going to take the time and go through these things. I think it's important that we establish this foundation. And it might uh, seem over and over again the same thing, but I think it's important. So let's go ahead and start. His first title is Lucifer. This was his title in heaven before his rebellion and fall. And we find that in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. He is also called Satan. Satan, the word Satan means accuser. And we found that, find that in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He is the accuser of the brethren. However, God does not accuse. John 8, 11 says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then we see again in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, taking everything, every thought captive. It's important that we, we re realize who it is that is talking to us because the Lord does not condemn us, but the enemy does. And when we have those thoughts and we hear those things, we need to take those thoughts captive and learn to do that to recognize who it is that's speaking to us. Hebrew, uh, the word Satan in, in the Hebrew means adversary. And in the Greek, it means the hater or accuser. Well, another name that he goes by, and I'm sure you're all aware of this one, he's the devil. Matthew 4.11 and Revelation 12.10, he's revealed as that. Um, in the Greek, it means false, that he is an accuser and a slanderer. The devil is also a trinity of evil, manifesting himself as a dragon, a beast, and a false prophet. We also know that he's known, especially in the book of Genesis, and then again in the book of Revelation, as the serpent. His, his name denotes the crookedness and deceitfulness and the guile that's within him. Then we also know in the New Testament, 1 Peter 5, 8, the scripture tells us that he, Satan is pictured as a serpent to note, he, well, first of all, he's, he's pictured as a serpent to denote his sub, sub, subtlety, boy, I'm having problems with word tonight, 
but he's also referred to as a roaring lion. And he's referred to as a lion to express his fierceness and his strength. The word rendered roaring is especially used if um, the sounds to um, define the sounds of a wild beast when it's ravenous with hunger. And that's exactly what Satan does is he's roaring because he is out to consume those that would be consumed. Another word that we have that we have uh, identified as part of the enemy's naming and who he is and his helpers is Beelzebub. And that's in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, which means Lord of the Fly. It's a heathen deity thought by the Jews to have supremacy among the evil spirits and who they described as the prince of demons. Well, we also know by further study that there's also another word, the Beelzebub is another word for the spirit of Baal. And it, whether we're talking about a demon or whether we're talking about Satan himself, we know that it, the Beelzebub in Mark 3.22 is an evil thing. The king of darkness is what the enemy is called. He is also called the prince of the world. Three times Jesus described this name, na- name to Satan in John 12.31, in John 14.30, and also again in John 16.11. This title speaks of Satan's rule and his influence over the governments of this world, over world politics, over business, and society are all under his domain. Now, we know because of Jesus that Jesus has come and he has redeemed back the world, but the world system still operates as as though it is in captivity. And that's why we are sent to declare and announce the kingdom of God has come. Okay, he's also referred to as the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. He's also called the Prince of the Power of the Air. And there we have quite a few scriptures that uh, call him that. Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Matthew, verse 12. and uh, Excuse me, chapter 12 and verse 24, Matthew 12, 24, and then again in Matthew 25 and verse 41, and then again in Revelation 12, 7. See, this suggests that his rulership is over the spirit beings who shared in his sin. And that's what we talk about. Um, Satan is the ruler of the evil forces uh, here in the world today. The spirit, he's also called the spirit of disobedience or the spirit who works in those who are disobedient. That's in Ephesians 2, 2. We find again, he's called the dragon, the enormous red dragon, the great dragon. And he's, it's thought to refer to his great power. We've also said that he's called the serpent. He's also called the deceiver of the world. And seeking to be like the most high, Satan aspires to be religious And so this title, the God of this age, speaks of rulership in this realm. Indeed, it may be here that his most devastating attack is against God. See, because he deceives the world, he wants people to think that he is the God of this age. In Matthew, in the New Testament, we have a, uh, a name, the tempter, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. As tempter, he constantly incites men to sin. One of his tactics is to incite you, to get, to push you, to tempt you to sin. And then when you do sin, he condemns you and condemns you. He is also called the evil one, the wicked one. Abaddon in Hebrew, it, he is named Abaddon out of Revelation 9-11. And in Greek, it means, uh, it's Apollyon, but it means the destroyer. You know, we know that his mission statement is to come, steal, and destroy. And here's a name that reflects 
that. Um, he's called our enemy. He is our enemy. And we need to recognize we do have an enemy out there who is trying to take us um, out. He's trying to kill us. He's trying to destroy us. He's trying to steal from us. He's trying to keep us from enjoying the provisions that God has provided for us. He keeps people deceived. He um, likes to masquerade as the ruler and he has lost his rulership. And the, the only way that um, he's dethroned is for us to come along, those of us who are who are in the kingdom and know what our place is and know what our commands are is to, to announce to the world that uh, the kingdom of God is now here and that he is dethroned and to not be intimidated by who he is. Well, he's also called the beast of the abyss. Um, He's called the angel of the bottomless pit. He's the king of demonic beings, which look like locusts. Uh, Revelation 9, 11 tells us he's called Belial means the worthless, reckless, or lawless one. He is the ruler of spiritual darkness. That's in Ephesians 6, 12. He's the father of ungodly desires in John 8, 44. He's the thief, the killer, and the destroyer of the sheep. We find that in John 10, 10. The scripture also says that he's the murderer from the beginning. And, you know, he's such a contrast to our Lord Jesus who has come to give us life and give it more abundantly. The word also tells us in John chapter 8, verse 44, that he is a liar and the father of lies. Again, the chief characteristic of Satan is seen. He is a liar. He's deceiving and lying are some of his favorite devices. His stock trade are always the gray-white variety with just enough truth in them to trick the unwary. Scripture also says that he masquerades as an angel of light. This is perhaps the greatest role of deceptiveness which Satan plays, and we see that in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He poses as a spiritual helper to lead those who need help out of their darkness. You know, the scripture tells us that we're supposed to test the spirits, and these are the incidences where he comes in and he portrays himself as the helper that they're looking for and as an angel of light, and he traps a lot of people that way, especially in grief. He's called the accuser of the brethren, not satisfied with directing his subtle energies and forces against the saint personally. He even presumes to accuse them. Even when things are under the blood, he likes to bring it up to us. The Lord knows it's gone, but sometimes we don't. And so we need to remember that accusations are um, wiles and arrows of the enemy. He's called the lawless one, the wicked one, or the evil one. Either of these names bear witness to the character of who Satan is. Though his ways may be varied and deceiving, they are always for a wicked and evil purpose, the embodiment of disobedience. He is also called the strong man, and his forces are called the strong man in Mark chapter 3, verse 27. We also have a title of Leviathan, the title of the gliding and coiling serpent in Isaiah 27, 1. An allegorical picture of Satan in Revelation 2, 20, verse 2. See, Satan is smart enough not to make himself too obvious. He comes to us dra- dressed in his Satan suit only when he wants to scare us. And that's one of his tactics, of course, to scare us. But more often he comes as an angel of light or he sends one of his henchmen dressed as a minister of righteousness. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15. Deception is his game. He is a con man. That's why it's very important that we be uh, 
aware and we're also in constant communication with our Father in Jesus Christ and the Father, Father God and with Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit that we know them intimately. And so we, we, and we know his words, we know his voice, he know, we know his leading. And so when the enemy comes to us and the Lord will let us know, this is, this is not right. It will just won't, it just won't jive. You might, you might want to say that's how, how you just know this isn't right. It doesn't line up with God's word. It doesn't line up with his nature, his character. It, it, it's not the Lord. Even if it looks good, you know, it's important that we test the spirits. Satan's strategy. Well, his strategy is he, temptation. The idea that sometimes we are just dealing with the world misses the fact that Satan is the one who fabricated this complex uh, system of temptations and who is in his own deceptive way pushing us to yield to those temptations. Jesus seemed to assume this relationship when he taught his disciples to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's important that we do that on a daily basis, to pray those types of prayers and to be aware. We are told to avoid even to flee from the places and circumstances that would lead us to temptation. But when temptation is happening, we're to resist the enemy and he will flee from us. Of course, we've already talked about that Satan is the accuser. His strategy is accusation towards us. He accuses us of of things that we have done and have not done. He accuses us. One of his great tactics is to accuse us of things that are in the past under the blood. And we review and review and review and review and and, and even, you know, get under guilt and condemnation because of it. And the Lord will say, what? It's already under the blood. And he doesn't, he remembers our sins no more. And we need to remember that as well to tell the enemy, the enemy, no, that is covered under the blood and I'm not going to go there. Another thing the enemy does is uh, his, one of his strategies is one of his names is deception. He deceives us. He deceives those who don't know the truth, who don't know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There is no other but him. Um, he deceives people who don't understand who God is, who may have a false impression of who God is, that God is not a God up there with a fly swatter waiting to squish us. And so he is, the enemy uses those unbeliefs or those ungodly thoughts that we have towards the Lord, and he magnifies them. And he's, he's one who would, who would tell you that to, to follow the Lord was boring, and all he wants to do is take away your fun. Well, he's a deceiver, and that is not the truth. Another strategy of the enemy is oppression. And what that is, is when there is so much pushing on you and pushing down on you that you can't do anything other than be under it, I guess is how you could say it. And then the last one, you know, which we have, we do a lot of discussion about is possession. Does, re, does he really possess us? Um, not as Christians, he don't, because we're redeemed and signed over to the Lord Jesus Christ. But even those who are non-Christian, can he really possess them? I think that he can possess them, my personal opinion is, is he can possess them to the point that they have allowed him to, to the point that they have invited him to, to the point that they have opened the door to him. And believe me, uh, people do open the door to Satan. Well, how does he accomplish what he accomplishes? Well, Satan accomplishes it because he carries on his worldwide ministry of evil and deception through a hierarchy of spiritual forces, otherwise known as demons or evil spirits or fallen angels. Ephesians 6.12 gives us that kind of a clue. There are rulers, there are powers and forces that are referred to in Romans 8, 38 and 39 and Ephesians 6.12 in Colossians 1, 
16 and chapter 2, verse 15. These rulers, powers, forces, and demonic spirits propagate Satan's plan of rebellion and deception around the world. See, Peter Wagner says, Satan delegates his high-ranking members of the hierarchy of evil spirits to control nations, regions, cities, tribes, people groups, neighborhoods, and other significant social networks of human beings around the world. Their major assignment is to prevent God from being glorified in their territory, which they do through directing the activity of lower-ranking demons. He's organized. He has a system. He has a plan. But you know what? The Lord Jesus has a greater plan, and it's already been done. He's already won. And so it's important that we recognize that, and we proclaim the victory of the cross. And that's one of uh, Satan's real big devices or one of his strategy is to keep us from understanding what our purpose is and really the victory that we really, really, really have. He tries to intimidate us um, and he tries to oppress so much around us that we feel that it's too big for us and, and we, we just don't do what we're supposed to do. Well, let's go ahead and move on. Okay. Satan, how does he do this? Well, he gains access to us and entire territories through individual and corporate sin. Well, what kind of sin? Well, idolatry. We say we live in America. We aren't idolaters. Yes, we are. We're idolatry. We we're idolaters to a lot of things. It could be beauty. It could be sports. It could be money. It could be greed. It could be our families. It could be men. It could be women. It could be many things. Our homes. Our children. Idolatry is a place in which Satan can gain access into our territories or into our nation. Um, you know, that's the first, one of the first things that the Lord said is to put him first and to not have any idols. Another place is through bloodshed, through the, the bloodshed of innocent um, people and children. Immorality, sin, um, and covenant breaking. You know, the, the um, large amounts of covenant breaking is an, is an avenue in which Satan gains power. Once God's agenda is broken or cracked, Satan will take advantage to gain the upper hand and begin to establish his influence in that area. See, Satan can build a throne upon which he is seated in a territory. Revelation 2.13 says, Satan's throne is built on the corporate iniquity of a region, and his throne is linked with the worship in that area. He knows that we were created to be worshipers, and if we realize it or not, we are worshiping something. Well, how does Satan and demons gain access into our lives? God gains access to our life by submission and obedience to his plan. Satan gains access by our rebellion and disobedience to God's plan, which gives him an open door. Okay, now let's just talk about, uh, we've talked about his names, we've talked about his strategy, we've talked about how he accomplishes it. Now let's just take a second and let's talk about um, where he's located. Well, you know that we have talked uh, in previous messages uh, and classes about the first, second, and third heaven. Well, in the third heaven, we understand that that's where God's throne is. Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, and we are seated with him. That is the third heaven. Well, in the second heaven, which is an area um, that's somewhere between the first heaven and the, and the third heaven, and it um, is where the territorial spirits and rulers and powers reside. Um, the principalities or the princes are in the second heaven and the powers and the rulers of darkness. See, um, spiritual warfare is multi-level. It's multifaceted phenomena 
that first includes conflict between God and Satan. You know, that was at the very beginning. And, and then God threw Satan out of heaven and his followers. Um, so little light is given on us onto that relationship. Delving into it is fascinating, but speculative. And we want to make sure that our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we don't get so caught up in finding out who demons are and who Lucifer is, that we don't get more focused on who he is rather than the Lord. But, you know, we have some interesting scripture that we can look at to get some ideas of how it works. And that would be in Daniel chapter 10. We see that Satan and his cohorts are sending an opposing force to interfere with God's plan. What happens is, is Daniel sets his heart to understand, so he begins to pray and fast. And we know that it was over a period of about 21 days. But in the end, Daniel doesn't see what's going on, but we do because we're reading the story after the fact. But in the end, Daniel finds out that God sent the answer on the first day. But it got caught up somewhere in the second heaven. There were forces opposing the messenger. And until God, as Daniel continued to pray, God released another angel that was uh, stronger and more, uh, I guess, uh, uh, able to overcome the spirits in the second uh, heaven. God sent them and then the messenger was able to come and relate the answer to Daniel. So as we continue to pray and as we continue to fast, the warfare rages without our knowledge. And sometimes I think what happens is we give up too soon because we think God's not listening. We think, you know what, this doesn't work. And that's really Satan's plan is to get us discouraged and get us to think that God doesn't care or that he's not going to answer us or that he's not real. And really the opposite is very true. God is fighting on our behalf. And so we need to know, understand that when we're seeking the Lord, that God wants to answer us and that as we continue and persist and persevere, the answer will come. Though evil forces fought their hardest, they were powerless to stop the answer from getting through. They were powerless to stop it getting through to Daniel. The devil has had us fooled. He has made us think that we have beat him. We have to beat him up and bind him and getting in a pit and sit on him before we can have any victory. See, the victory's already been established. We must resist the devil, but the battle and the victory aren't even ours. The battle is the Lord and the victory is already his. We need to keep our focus on that. Well, let's talk a little bit. We talked about the third and the second heavens. Well, let's talk about the first heavens. Well, what is the first heaven? Well, the first heaven is everything that we can see. It's the natural realm here that we in, in the area in which we live. Um, it's our our first heaven or ground level warfare is where we would we would uh, receive our own personal deliverance. Um, our flesh is what separates us from this world because we are flesh beings, natural being, beings. We can't cross over back and forth, but I really believe that the spirit realm is much more real than the natural realm because, you know, the spirit realm is eternal, but this natural realm here isn't. And so the spirit realm is much more, um, is stronger, um, and, it, uh, it's eternal. And so we need to be aware that there is another realm that we're not aware of. We think because we can't see it in our Greek mindset that it doesn't exist. And just because we think it doesn't mean that that is so. Hosea chapter four, verse six, my people are perish. My people are destroyed, I guess is uh, the word I have here by a lack of knowledge. I know there are other versions in which it says, uses the word perish. Um, demons are disembodied spirits that have personality and intelligence. And as members of Satan's kingdom and as enemies of God and humans, they are evil. 
They are malicious and they are under Satan's authority. Demons are the power behind idols. So that to worship a false god is essentially to worship, de to worship demons. And even if you go to step further, what you're really worshiping is Satan. Demons can and often do live in the bodies of unbelievers. And they use their voices to talk. They enslave individuals and influence them towards evil, immorality, and destructions. They may be aware that they are occupied by demonic forces, or they may not. They may just think that it's part of who they are. They also can afflict believers. And we're not going to go into that tonight. That would be the subject of deliverance. But that is a topic that you need to, you need to do some study on. Demons cause, can, cause they, can cause and they do cause physical illnesses in the human body. Although all sicknesses and disease are not the results of evil spirits, some are. We see in this, in this scripture in the New Testament, Jesus addressed evil spirits many times when he did healing. Sometimes he said, be healed. Sometimes he said, he told the spirit to leave and then the people were healed. So it's, a, it's an area in healing that we, many times is overlooked. And we really need to, when we're praying for the sick, we need to address the spirits of infirmity and disease. And I think that according to scripture, we're gonna see a lot greater, a bigger percentage of people being healed because some of those sicknesses are really the cause of demons. And until they're evicted, the people will not get well. Well, what else do demons do? They influences the thought, they influence the thoughts and the emotions and the actions of Christians as well, who fail to follow the leading of the Spirit. When we don't have our souls clean, when we allow the enemy to have access in our life, such as um, anger issues or unforgiveness or judgments or any ongoing sin that we're allowing in our life, that gives the enemy an open door to work in our emotions, into our soul realm, our will, our minds, um, in our emotions. It gives him an opening uh, to torment us and to direct us and to influence us. Okay, let's take a minute and let's look at uh, the book of Luke. If you want to go there for a second, let's go to the, uh, Luke um, chapter 11, verse 24. Luke 11, verse 24. Okay, we're starting at verse 24, and we're going to go through 26. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes in and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Well, this scripture tells us that demons can exist outside of humans or inside of humans. You know, we already had mentioned that demons are disembodied spirits. So they're looking for a body in which to which they can work through. So just don't be one of those people. Okay, what else can this does the scripture tell us about who demons are? Well, they're able to travel at will. They're able to communicate. Each one has its own separate identity. They're able to remember and make plans. They're able to evaluate and make decisions. They're able to combine forces, and they vary in degree of weakness, wickedness. Now, we can find all of those things just out of that scripture. Isn't God good that he gives us information if we just ask him to show us? That's in Luke 11, verse 24 through 26. Well, what is the purpose of demons? The overall purpose of demons seems to be twofold. They seek to hinder the purposes of God and to extend the power of Satan. 
What are the activities of demons? Well, the demons oppose the saints. Ephesians 6, 12, and 1 Thessalonians 2, 18. They, they induce departure from the faith. That's in 1 Timothy 4, 1. They encourage formalism and asceticism, religious um, type uh, forms of worship. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. They back all idol worship. They cause various physical afflictions, dumbness, and I don't mean by a level of intelligence. I mean like a deaf and dumb type spirit. They cause blindness. They cause insanity. They cause suicidal mania. They, um, they cause personal injuries uh, for us to afflict on ourselves, usually, and various defects and deformities. Okay. They blind the minds of people as well. According to the, the foundation of Pentecostal theology, that is written um, by the editors of Duffield and Van Cleve, um, there are over 300 references to the angels in the Word of God and only 80 approximately to demons. So, you know, we need to remember when we're, as I mentioned before, and I will continue to mention, we need to make sure our focus is on the right things. And certainly we need to have a healthy respect for the power and the influence of the demonic. By healthy, I mean we need to know that they're a defeated foe, but we also need to understand that they're powerful and they've been at this for a very long time. But we can also see that there are twice as many, and maybe we could even say three times as many, angelic beings that are released into this realm as there are the demonic. So let's not get so focused on the demonic thinking that that's all there is. We'll have, um, like Elijah, I believe it was Elijah, it was either Elijah or Elisha, get those two, but I believe it was Elijah, who asked, maybe it was Elisha, who asked the Lord to open his servant's eyes so he could see all the angelic that were there ready to fight their battles for him. And sometimes we need to do that. Lord, show me what's going on in your, your realm so that I don't get so focused on what's happening in, in the demonic realm. Well, let's get back to scripture and let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you, were, which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." See, notice the Paul, why Paul, the way Paul links the world, the flesh, and the devil together. He does not suggest that sometimes it's the world that we're dealing with, or sometimes it's the flesh, or sometimes it's the devil. Paul sees them as working so closely together. You can't really understand one, one without seeing it, the way the other one relates to it as well. The biblical terms uh, world, cosmos, and the flesh, S-A-R-X, sarx, I think is how you pronounce that, can have very different meanings. The Greek word cosmos is used with two very different meanings. Satan is called the prince or the ruler of this world, and of, of this world, and it, by that it's used cosmos. By Jesus in John twelve thirty one, John fourteen thirty, and John sixteen eleven, and we are commanded not to love this world in First John two fifteen. In a sense, Satan created the world that is in view here, the world of fallen culture. We're talking about the culture. And he is the ruler of that world. And this was not part of the world as it came from the creative hand of God. However, God created the world of people and things. And he rules over that creation. Colossians 1, 17 and Hebrews 1, 3. 
The physical world reveals God's glory, and we are not to reject this. It is part of what God has given us to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6.17 And the world of people created by God is a proper object of our love. God himself so loved the world of people, if we put that, if we think of the world in that context as, as of people and things, that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. Thus, the world of people and things as God created is good. It's not our enemy. It's proper to enjoy God's good creation. When we speak of the world in the context of the world, the flesh and the devil, we are talking about a world full of things designed by Satan to tempt us to meet our legitimate human needs in a manner that was never intended by our Creator. They are the deceptions that Satan has devised to, get us, devised to get us to make bad decisions. To listen to Satan rather to, than to God. It's a process that was begun which has resulted in human cultures that have moved far from the, the world that God created. The world today is complicated and carefully crafted scheme of Satan to lead people away from God and his good purposes for them and into the bondage to the lies of the enemy. This world to which we see, we as God's people are no longer to conform. See, we are not ruled of the world, and John seventeen sixteen tells us. And John, John seventeen fifteen says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, we're drawn away by our own desires. In James 1, 13 through 15, it tells us. Let's go back to the word flesh. In the Greek, it's S-A-R-X. It incorporates our physical bodies, our mind, our personalities, and our will. We are human. Our flesh is conditioned to live, think, and operate in this world. We have been conditioned to operate independently from God. Our flesh is hostile to the Spirit of God. That is when we say we're born. We're born in the flesh, and we are already hostile to the Spirit of God because of the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit of God leads us to be totally dependent on God. And so until we're saved, there is a hostility between us. We were created in the image of God, and we also have the need to be, feel significant, secure, and accepted. And we need to love and be loved. As spiritual beings, we need a relationship with God. These are the things of which Satan uses for his purposes. They're legitimate needs. He offers to have them fulfilled, contrary to how God intended them to be filled, and people just don't know. The world has been a supermarket of wrong choices with the satanic realm offering alternatives. So it is the world, our flesh, is it the world, our flesh, or the devil that leads us wrongly? Yes, many times it's all three working together. Gentleman named Clinton Arnold says, It's likely that any sinful activity that the believer does not deal with by the power of the Spirit can be exploited by the devil and turned into a, turned into a means of control into a, over in a believer's life. Therefore, Christians need to resist the enemy. See, footholds tend to be built on sins of the flesh, occult activity, unforgiveness, and lies. The Word of God tells us that we are at war, are at war with four enemies. The first enemy, of course, is Satan. The devil and his demons affect us the most, including Christians. Satan has a hierarchy and a horde under him who are confederated to stop the purposes of God. Um, then we have, besides the, the onslaught of the enemy, Satan, 
that's affecting us uh, to try to do evil, to tempt us, to oppress us, to push against us, to cause us to stumble. Or his greatest uh, is to keep us from getting saved in the first place. Well, then we have our flesh. The flesh is the odamic nature that tries to hang on for dear life instead of submit to the power of the cross. Galatians 5.24 says we should crucify our our flesh every day. The flesh hinders us from obeying God. Unless it's suppressed on a daily basis, we will fall back into active sin. The devil loves to keep our soulish nature from being crucified. If he loses ground and our soulish nature, nature becomes submitted to the Spirit of God, he loses the ability to use us as one of his resources here on earth. Well, what else do we find that we are... Um, at, are our enemies here uh, in the world. Well, the enemy's evil spirits, which we spoke about briefly when we were talking about Satan, they will often become attached or attached to us or embedded in individuals. Then they use these individuals to set themselves against God's covenant plan in another person's life. In the book of Nehemiah, Sanballat and Tobiah were used by the devil to hinder the rebuilding, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And in Psalms 38, 19, many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. You know, when we look in the natural, we can't figure out what is the deal. But, you know, sometimes there are spiritual things going on that we just can't see. And then, of course, our other enemy is the world. And that, by that, I mean the world system. It's organized contrary to God's will and is run, being run by Satan, the God of this world. We, and I, and I mean small g, we as Christians are enemies of this world. We are not to be thought to be part of this world system, but we can still live in it. We still need to live in it. We still need to love in it, but we are not supposed to be part of it. And that's the interesting dichotomy, the interesting um, tug of war that we have that goes on within us. How do we love people? How do we live in it and still not be part of it? Well, if we don't war against these things, we will never possess the inheritance that God has given us. We need to remember that we live in a world that is under the authority of Satan. God created Adam and the human race to rule over creation. But Adam forward forfeited his authority to Satan through sin, and Satan ruled until Christ's death. But then Christ came, and he died, and he uh, rose again. And he secured all the power and the authority for himself. And then he bestowed it on us. Yet Satan still rules here in this sinful world and its unregenerate inhabitants. The kingdom of this world are under control and leadership of satanic principalities. His asserted claim to the world was made in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and was not denied by him. However, now we know that we are victorious and the Lord Jesus has redeemed us back and also everything that had been lost uh, in, in the fall of man. All natural men are members of this system by birth and so must be delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Well, we need to also remember that Satan is no longer our ruler. Christ is our ruler. And he control, uh, Satan continues to rule his, in the lives of unbelievers because he has blinded their eyes to the truth of Christ's authority and that, the ability that he can set them free. But those of us who have received Christ have been delivered from satanic, or the satanic kingdom and transferred into God's kingdom through faith in Christ. But Satan keeps trying to rule over our lives by deceiving us into believing that we still belong to him. 
And even though Christ has provided us with, from, with protection from and authority over Satan and equipped us with the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us discern his ego schemes, many times we, we, uh, don't take a, uh, we don't avail those tools. We are still vulnerable to Satan's attacks because we still live in this evil world. To the extent that we fail to utilize Christ's protection and his authority and the truth, and to that extent, we are in danger of being deceived by Satan. We also need to remember that our identity in Christ is secure. But we can be controlled by Satan if we remain under his influence long enough. We belong to God and Satan can't change that. But as long as we live in his territory, we are vulnerable targets to all his fiery darts. If we continually allow him to deceive us in an area, he can control our thinking and our behavior in that area. So I think it's real important that we take a look at our lives and we make sure that every area that he has had a hold on us in, a pla- in the past has been, um, those doors have been closed, those areas have been cleaned up and healed and set free, and that we put strong boundaries around ourselves and the world tells us that we are to um, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from us and that's our greatest uh, thing that we need to do in these situations so we also know that for every threat of a move of God there's a counter move so whenever the kingdom of God advances Satan makes a counter move. When God takes victory in an area, Satan tries to come along and say that it isn't true. He tries to force back his rulership. And we need to know that when we're advancing, that that's going to happen. If we're ready and recognizing it and looking for it, then we're not going to fall to the traps of the enemy. Never is there a day that Satan wakes up and decides to be nice. His plan is to steal, is to kill, and to destroy. See, to overthrow an adversary, it requires confrontation and identification. But we can't identify him if we don't know who he is and what he does. We won't confront him if we don't know who he is or if we don't believe that he doesn't doesn't exist. So that's a real ploy of his is try to convince the Christian realm or the religious realm. There are many who don't even believe it's just a concept. But let me tell you, he is alive and well. And that is one of his successful schemes is to make people think he isn't real. Therefore, people are not going to confront him. They're not going to identify him. And they're certainly not going to uh, evict him out and remove his rulership from their lives and from their territories. So Satan tonight would have our, would have our hides if he could, you know, he can't do anything unless the Lord gives him permission or we have opened the door for him in our lives. So we want to remember that God's mercy is why we, we are here and he is the only one that is good. And we, let's just take a minute and thank the Lord for his goodness um, and his mercy to us. So Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for revelation. We thank you for truth. We thank you that you are the God of all the ages, that you are the King of Kings, and that you are victorious. And through you, Lord, we can also be victorious. We thank you, Lord God, that you are our King and our Savior. And Lord God, through your blood, we have righteousness and that our sin is under, uh, has been purchased for by you and that you protect us, Lord. And All we have to remember is to remember to draw close to you and to submit to you to resist the enemy and he will flee. Lord, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you've enjoyed this resource and that God has used it to bless you. For additional resources or to contact us, visit the D.L. Martin Ministries website at dlmm.org or you can call our ministry office at area code 850-455-5011. Thank you for letting D.L. Martin Ministries serve you.